Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea, and today I'm going to be telling my story. I have my friends with me to help me. This is kind of difficult for me, and I'm fighting off a cold still, so bear with me, but let's jump in. Hello, it is Chelsea, and I am here today with two of my very best friends, Ashley and Emily. We are missing one of our crowd, Antonia, um, but our thoughts are with her right now. Um, Ashley and Emily, do you want to introduce yourselves? Of course. I am Ashley, and um, I have known Chelsea for a handful of years. Uh, We worked together in Milton for a while and are now kind of neighbors. Down the road neighbors. I am Emily, and I have known Chelsea for eight-ish years or so, and I am a mom of two and a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and mostly barely just putting up with Ashley being in the same (laughs) podcast with me. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. You're welcome. (laughs) This is our dynamic. (laughs) Do not be alarmed. (laughs) The mom of one. He's almost nine, and I'm a speech-language pathologist and assistant director of student services. And I have asked them to be on the episode with me today because today I'm going to share my story and um, I'm still pretty fresh from a lot of my mental health journey and I'm a little nervous about it. So I'm, I'm having them go with me, but I guess I'll start with, I'll start with Lily. I, I have two kids. I have two kids. I have two daughters, um, Lily, who is seven, and Avery, who is nine months. And I suffered um, postpartum mental health disorders with both of my kids. So I think I'll probably start with Lily. And I knew both Ashley and Emily during this time. Emily, I think we were just barely, we were just barely getting to know each other and bonding over our love of Harry Potter. That is Um, correct. Yeah, yes. I think Lily was just a tiny little bean. Yes. And um, Ashley, I will actually never forget, came over to my house. We we weren't particularly super close at the time, but Ashley yeah. showed up at my house and was like, hey, go take a shower and I'm going to hold your baby. And I was like, we're going to be best friends. <laughs> yeah. I actually was thinking about that recently and I don't remember how I wound up there. I think Keaton had childcare. He would have been like a year and a half old. And we didn't have, you were on maternity leave and we didn't have school. And I was like, hey, can I stop by? And brought <laughs> random donuts and held a baby I didn't know and sat in a condo of somebody that I didn't know that well. <laughs> yeah. And I got to take a shower and we've been sharing donuts and awkward um, exchanges ever since. Absolutely. Yeah. So with Lily, I had Lily in 2015. And it was a very normal, uneventful pregnancy. Labor was difficult. I labored for two days at home before being admitted. And even when I was admitted, they had to induce me 
because I wasn't progressing. But it was normal. Everything was like fine. No one was alarmed about anything. She was just slow to come out. And um, I was exhausted. I hadn't slept for two days. Um, my husband, he'll he'll hate me for saying this, but he slept through almost all of my labor, even in the hospital. I just remember being very, very, very tired. And when it was time to start pushing, they kept asking me if I was having a contraction. And I would say no, but they could watch it on the monitor and be like, you're lying. And I was like, but I'm tired. So it, like I said, it was pretty uneventful. When she was born, um, she was sunny side up. So she was squished and purple. And I remember them putting her on my chest. But other than that, I don't, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. Um, I kept looking around the room and I just kept saying like, am I okay? Is she okay? Am I okay? Is she okay? And I don't remember anything else. I don't remember her getting weighed. I don't remember her getting cleaned up or anything like that. I don't remember a lot of being in the hospital with her. There were, I, people came to visit like immediately. Um, so people were in and out of my room a lot and I don't, I don't remember my interactions with them. My husband tells me that I didn't really hold her very much. And anytime she needed to go to the nursery for anything, he went with her and I felt physically okay. I just, I felt like I was somewhere else. And that continued when we went home. We went home from the hospital and I just sobbed on the floor my first night. I couldn't, I just cried and like, what did we do? And for weeks after that, I couldn't eat. I lost 40 pounds in a week and I just cried all the time and I didn't have any sort of connection with her. And I was, I don't know, I was terrified. And it took me months of really hard work to build any sort of a relationship with her. And like by hard work, I mean like making myself go out with her or making myself pick her up and walk around the house and just like bounce with her and like forcing myself to interact with her. But it was a really awkward experience. Um, I remember going to a birthday party and bringing her and somebody wanted to hold her. And I didn't even know who this person was. Um, I think it was the birthday person's sister. <laughs> and I was like, sure. And I just handed her over and I <laughs> walked away. <laughs> um, I just, I just did. That was postpartum depression for me. Like I felt nothing for a very, very long time. I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel sadness. I didn't feel anything. And I took care of her because I had to. My poor husband was trying to take care of her and take care of me. And but what other that, su supports did you have at that time? I had my mom would come over a little bit in the beginning. Um, for the first week, she was really, really good. Um, she'd come over and she'd just like rock with Lily and she would try to get me to eat. But other than that, like we didn't we knew it was postpartum depression. I'd gone to the doctor, but like we we didn't do too much about it mm -hmm. um, and we didn't know a lot about it. So we kind of just like waited. When you say we, do you mean you and Ben or you and your family, like everybody or? Yeah, me and Ben. We just yeah. we just kind of waited because like the doctor was like, it's going to pass. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I had a therapist at the time. I 
I have anxiety and depression anyway. I've I've been diagnosed since I was 12, but I was in between therapists, which probably wasn't a good thing. It's that's interesting, Chelsea, because like if you have depression and anxiety already, which your doctor knew, like wh- I'm wondering why they would have been like, "Oh, it'll pass," you know, like baby blues potentially and people with depression and anxiety who have just had a baby can obviously have baby blues and it can pass. But it's interesting that they wouldn't have kind of caught on and been like, oh, this is something more that we should pay attention to, you know? Well, the interesting thing is that the doctor that I, the doctor's office I was going to at the time was um, an office that basically saw like rotating residents. Um, You didn't necessarily see the same person every time. And they were only there for a certain number of months or years, and then they moved on. Um, So... When I went, the doctor that I saw, I'd never seen this doctor before. And he told me, yes, it sounds like postpartum depression, wrote me a prescription for Atarax, um, which is for anxiety, and which I never took at the time because I was too afraid. <laughs> um, and... That was kind of it. And I and I was seeing midwives at the time too. Like for through the whole pregnancy, I went through a midwifery serve like not service, mm-hmm. but like place. But one of the things that I've learned through this whole thing is like the aftercare for mom is so different than the aftercare for baby. They want to see baby first every two weeks and then every two months. And then like they want to see the baby so much. You go for your six week postpartum visit and that's like it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like people knew that I had it, but there wasn't there weren't a lot of resources offered to me at that time. And it did it faded. It did fade with Lily. I would say it probably took probably about a year before I mean before that there were still I I could still find times where I could feel happy, but it took a pre- like a solid year before I felt like yeah, this is my daughter and I want to spend time with her and like I can see a future with her and I want to know the little person she's going to be. And But I'll never forget going on it. We used to go on a walk through the storage units, which sounds really bleak, but like that was the only place to walk um, safely and pushing her stroller and like looking at my husband and saying like, I regret this. And looking back on it now, like thinking about what how that must have felt to him. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was the one that really wanted to have kids and I didn't necessarily want to have kids. She was planned and she was, I wanted her when I was pregnant, but I, I definitely felt a deep regret, mm-hmm. but it faded with her and it got a lot easier. And we fell into a really, really good routine as a family of just the three of us. And you both know that I was so after that, I was dead set on I'm having no more kids. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like that was something that we talked about fairly often, you know, mm-hmm. because I had just had a child and, and we were, you know, my family was done growing and yeah. Yeah. And I, you might be about to share this story too, but I remember you coming into my office to tell me that you were pregnant again, you know, just a year-ish ago. Yeah. Um, like you coming in to tell me that you were pregnant and, and I wasn't sure if this was like a celebration or a tragedy. 
Yeah. Um, like didn't know whether to congratulate you or to not. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, I think the way that I said it too probably didn't really <laughs> help matters. So there's a there's a just about a seven year age gap between the kids. And I went into your office and I like slumped down on the on the filing cabinet and I was mm-hmm. like, so I'm pregnant. like what do i do with that information (laughs) it was similar with emily too yeah i remember we had all gotten together actually we were at your neighbors um we had gotten together to do like a murder mystery yeah Yeah, murder mystery mystery game game. and you came in and you're like oh yeah i'm pregnant and i remember just like looking at ashley and looking at you (laughs) and being like oh okay and like not really knowing what where we were going not really knowing mm-hmm. what we were doing and yeah. you're like oh yeah no it's good and then it, yay and we could all yeah. Be, yeah yeah i'm um, i'm also not great at like social things anyway so like the whole like just okay. i was like oh i have to tell her that i'm pregnant because i've got to tell her so right that's the socially appropriate it's thing because to do you were microwaving your pepperoni <laughs> i was microwaving my pepperoni <laughs> yeah 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 which weird weird stuff that tracks you know mm-hmm. um but also, you're like, oh yeah, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was adamant that I was never having any more kids. But I don't know the science behind this at all. But um, I had gotten my IUD out, um, which was a process in and of itself because it had implanted, and I had to have surgery to get it out. And I got it out, and almost instantly, like my whole personality changed. Like, I mean, not not to an extreme extent, but like, I was happy, like super happy, like to the point where my husband was like, what's going on with you? <laughs> why are you, why are you this happy? <laughs> I was like, why are you asking me that? But I was super happy. I had a lot more energy. Um, I was confident. I wasn't like freaking out at work over things that would usually freak me out at work. And I decided that I really wanted to have a baby and that like, this is what I wanted to do. It was on my terms this time. Things were going to be different this time. And, and yeah, Lily wanted a sibling. I was like, this is great. So like everything about this pregnancy was did. It was like the polar opposite of my first pregnancy. Super enthusiastic about it. Really like nervous when I was trying to get pregnant. Thought that I was going to lose her several times because I was like spotting and stuff and freaking out about that. The whole pregnancy was miserable. I was sick through the whole pregnancy and uncomfortable, but I was still really like excited, I guess. I ended up resigning from my position during that time for a lot of reasons. My husband had been in a motorcycle accident that nearly killed him and taking care of him and my seven-year-old and being pregnant was too much with the job that I had. A lot of people would probably say, why would, would you get pregnant? Well, your husband was healing from an accident and we were of the mindset of time is short and you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So anyway, resigned was doing really really well like I had a really cool routine doing the whole stay at home mom thing I was into it and then then I found out that Avery was breech 
and that I was going to have to have a C-section. And I was actually okay with it. I was not, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool because now I know exactly when I'm going to have her. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go through labor again. I don't have to not sleep for however many days. Like I know exactly when she's going to be born. Cool. And I did things to try to get her to turn just to make the doctors happy, but she never turned. And I had the C-section, which was really scary. One of the weirdest feelings I've ever experienced. Like you just, you can feel them tugging at your insides and it was really weird, but it was okay. Like I was fine. Everything went smooth, according to them. Um, she spent a little bit of time in the NICU because she wasn't wasn't doing a great job breathing on her own. But they weren't overly concerned. Uh, a couple hours later, we both met. I met her for the first time <laughs> because I hadn't. They hadn't even put her on my chest or yeah. anything. And I had no problem bonding with that child. Like they handed her to me, and I didn't want to give her up. I just I was so happy, and that lasted about two hours. And then I got a spinal headache, which nobody warned me about, um, that you can get from the type of, what's it called? Anesthesia? Yeah. You can get it from the type of anesthesia that that you get. Um, and they had, this was also a new, they were trying a new procedure on me. Um, it hadn't been done um, very many times before me. So... I don't know if this has anything to do with anything. The doctor who did my C-section had just come back from medical leave. Like I was her first C-section from medical leave. Hmm. So she'd been gone for a long time and it was something to do with her hand. And then they were doing this new, this whole new procedural thing on me. Um, So I don't know. It could have contributed to things. It may not have. But the spinal headache, it's, it's something to do with your inner ear and your equilibrium and there's like a, a an imbalance of fluid in your spine and it you can't sit up you can't move um because the pain is so excruciating yeah. in your head so i would like not go to the bathroom like i would because i couldn't sit up mm -hmm. and i'm and i've got the c-section too so like i can't even move from that yeah and the nurses were so great they were trying to get the um, anesthesia team back in to do a procedure to help me, but they were slammed and um, it took over a day for them to come and do this procedure on me to sort of help. It's called a blood patch, which was scary too, because they have to go into your spine, but they did it and I got a little bit better for a little while. And then I never, I just never felt right. I never felt right after that. I, I felt nauseous i couldn't hold my head up i couldn't look people in the eye i remember she avery was in the nursery almost every night and she would be there as long as they would let us leave her in there because i was so sick i couldn't pick her up i couldn't do anything ben tried to take me out on a wheelchair ride and i was like i need to go back to my room it was like i i, was, I felt sick was that because of the physical pain or i, I still don't know okay i still don't know because I was in a lot of physical pain, but I also, my mind wasn't right. Yeah. Um, like, I felt, like, itching to get out of my skin. Like, I, I can't really explain it. And I, I begged the doctors to let me go home because I just wanted to be in my house, in my bed, 
And they did. They let me go home. Chelsea, were you taking like regular um, anti-anxiety medication at the time? Yep. And were, um, you, were you still wh- taking it like after you gave birth? Yep. So I had been on the same SSRI for the last 13 years. Um, so I'll, you could say at that point it had sort of probably had run its course at that point anyway. Um, but yep, I was medicated through my pregnancy. I was medicated after the delivery. But yeah, I just didn't feel right. I felt sick and my mind felt sick. So I wanted to go home and they let me go home and I didn't even walk in with the baby because I was in so much pain. Like my head hurt so much and my and I walked from the truck to my bed and Ben brought the baby in and like introduced the baby to Lily and and my in-laws and everything and I just got in bed and like cried. And it went on like that for a few days. Like there wasn't much I could do. I still couldn't hold my head up. I was constantly taking anti-nausea meds and meds for this headache that wouldn't go away. And and I couldn't enjoy those newborn those first few days because I like I was so sick. And then five days later, I went to lay down for a nap. I only laid down for five minutes and I stood up and I started hemorrhaging. I just, and I just, I just said, oh, no. And Ben was sitting at the table and he heard me and he came in. The baby's in the it was I don't even know where the baby was mm-hmm. at the time. Um, luckily, my in-laws were on their way over anyway. I went and sat in the bathroom in our bedroom. My daughter sat in the doorway of our bedroom we called 911. They told me to lay down and I was just like bleeding out on the floor. Um, and I remember telling Lily like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But I didn't know if it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Ben's crying. I thought I was going to die on the floor um, of my bathroom. And the ambulance got there. My in-laws got there two minutes before the ambulance got there. So they swooped in. They took Lily upstairs. I can hear her screaming. And they they had to call in backup because they didn't have the supplies to run an IV. And they needed to get an IV in me. So they're, I'm laying in a pool of my own blood. They're grabbing blankets and towels from everywhere in the bedroom and just packing them between my legs. I can feel every time a new gush of blood is coming and I'm mm-hmm. telling them and they're like, well, we can't do anything. Like, yeah. Backup came. They, I kept asking them if I was going to die <laughs> and they kept telling me like, like that's, we're not going to mm-hmm. let that happen. We're not going to let that happen. Um, they took me to the local hospital and they decided there that they couldn't, they weren't equipped to take care of what I needed. So I got blood and they gave me blood and put me in a another ambulance and I went to UVM. That experience was kind of dehumanizing. The doctors that came in like examined me and talked about me like I wasn't there. And we kept asking questions and they were literally just talking to each other like they wouldn't answer our questions. Mm-hmm. And then they finally said, "Okay, we need to take you in for a DNC." I'm like, "Okay, I don't know what that means." Like it's it's like a minor surgery. Um you're going to be fine. This is what it is. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. Um, so literally the next thing I know, I'm in another operating room 
just five days after I had my C-section. They did the DNC. They inserted a Bacary balloon, which I didn't know they were going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't know any of this stuff. And then I woke up and my whole family was there, which was, I that really caught me off guard um, because I, I don't like attention on me mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. <laughs> And so to wake up from that and have my whole family staring at me and like my sisters are crying and like, I think one of the, I don't know if it was the first thing I said, but one of my sisters had a magazine and I was like, is that Harry Styles? (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, like, yeah. (laughs) So cool to tell yeah. Even in life-threatening moments. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Harry Styles. Come on. One yeah. of the top three Harrys. <laughs> that, in my book, at least. Yeah. That's, it's so, like, hard to hear you talk about it, Chelsea, because I don't think I knew at the time. Obviously, you weren't texting us and telling us or calling mm-hmm. us and telling us when you are going through all this stuff. But it makes me think about those, you know, those days that you brought Avery home and those should be days that you are like settling into being a family of four. And, um, you know, but you, when you look back at those days, it's when you were the sickest and mm-hmm. like in getting surgery and Lily seeing her mom bleeding out in the bathroom floor. And, you know, like that, it almost feels like you were like robbed of an experience, you know, and you have to grieve that experience on top of everything else you're going through. Well, that, that continued, like that whole thing, I was robbed of her first six months of life. And if I haven't said this before, like I have not sat down with anyone and had this full conversation. Like I, so I'm like, I keep getting like chills and tingles just because like I have not relived this whole thing with anybody, but yeah, I have a lot of anger and sadness, but it's still really hard to think about that time because I could have died. Um, and I, that's, it's, it's weird. It'll come back into play later in the story because, because yeah, it just was, it, it's bizarre to think about. And we still don't know because the doctors, the doctors were kind of like elusive in their explanation of this. I was in the hospital for a few days after the surgery and I was terrified. I think this is where the postpartum anxiety started. Mm. Um, I asked every single person that came into my room, like, is this going to happen again? Is this going to happen again? And they're like, well, we can't tell you that it's not going to happen again, but it's very rare that it, Mm -hmm. that it would happen again. So they weren't very forthcoming Mm. with, with sort of maybe why this had happened or, or things like that. And you don't really know why a lot of the time. Um, but I, I'm very into like medical, or I used to be into like medical TV, and I watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy, and <laughs> so you sort of like you see a lot of these stories, and you think you're an expert. But um, I had a suspicion that there was some retained um, like placenta or something, um, which would be incredibly rare from a C-section because they get it all out, but. Mm-hmm with how sick I had been, it sort of corresponded with what you would be experiencing if there was retained placenta. Mm. And they had told me that I had been bleeding into my uterus for days. It just hadn't come out yet. Okay. Um, so the amount of blood and, and 
it had been it had been compiling for some time. Sure. We read in one of the reports, we think we read in one of the reports that there was some retained material from delivery, which I don't know what that means, but so it could have been that or it could have been a complete fluke. Mm-hmm. We will never know because no one told us. Is and this is not really related to your experience, but it's just my <laughs> curiosity. Yeah. Um is there a way that somebody else can review your medical records to determine like like I I go to like a place of malpractice, right? Yeah. Or like is there something that the doctors should have seen and didn't see? And is and not that it makes your experience any different, right? Like even having different answers that like maybe they made a mistake and it wasn't a fluke. Like you still went through what you went through. But is that is that something that you guys could explore, have explored? I don't even know what those steps would be. Like would that yeah, I don't know if that would provide any peace or I don't not. know if it would provide any peace. Earlier on in this experience, before things got really, really bad with my mental health, we thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and us going through the medical records to begin with was sort of like step one in that process. Yeah. I think at this point, I don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe someday I will, but like it just was so awful and was the start of something that was so awful that like I just don't want to think about it much anymore. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And like I said, I could be, it, I could be reading the medical records completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So having someone else look at them who knows what they're looking for. Um, and it, and it, the, it was odd because when I went home, I felt really, really good for like a week. Like I, I felt really good. I, part of that had to do with the amount of blood transfusions I got. Mm. Um, if you ever feel really crappy, <laughs> you, you can't do this obviously, but getting blood really invigorates you. <laughs> um, do not take this as medical advice from Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, no. And I didn't know that, but like the doctors were like, yeah, it makes you feel really good. <laughs> like, so I, I did, I felt really, really good for like a week. And I was going for walks with the family and I was I was helping with diaper changes and and things like that. And then I started feeling really sick again in a lot of similar ways. I would I would get really nauseous and I couldn't eat. And I was worrying about everything. And not just like little worries. Like I I you guys probably remember me texting you say I had convinced myself that Avery had a very rare form of seizure disorder mm-hmm. because she was nothing like Lily. So not, I didn't recognize any similarities and the things that she was doing were catching me so off guard. I'd put her to sleep and she would like laugh and she's only like three weeks old. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and her eyes would roll all over the place and like, and it was freaking me out. So you you enter all of those things into Google. Don't do that. <laughs> um, because it brings you to the worst places. And it brought me to this, can't even remember what it's called, but it's essentially it's like a it's a growth in your brain and it causes seizures, gelastic seizures, which means uncontrollable laughing. And it can have all of these other consequences later down the line. And I convinced myself that this is what she had. And she was a month old and we took her to the ER and they did the whole EEG thing overnight. 
I ended up in the ER while she was there because I hadn't eaten or slept and like was about to pass out. And yeah, uh, she didn't have that. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) She does not have that disorder. But we didn't recognize at the time that that was my anxiety. I remember getting that text, Chelsea, when you were like, we're taking her in. The doctor wants us to take her in for observation. And you saying, I think you said, like, Ben stayed the night with her yes. that night at the hospital. Um, and remember, I remember sitting there to myself being like, oh, I, I think this is not good. Like, And I mm-hmm. didn't think there was anything wrong with Avery. I thought, like, this is something's going on with Chelsea. But I didn't really know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I, I don't. I just. And. There could have been something wrong with Avery, and of course, yeah, you put your baby. And if there's something wrong, but I just remember in my head being like, "What? I think there's something going on with Chelsea. Like, I don't think this is good." Yeah, yeah. It, nobody, we didn't recognize that though, and at the same time, I also thought I had a blood clot. Um, and they were testing me for mm-hmm. a blood clot. Um, That's right. Yeah. So, like, there's all this stuff going on, and I, and I'm I'm trying to like condense this as much as possible because so much has happened in the last mm-hmm. well it's been nine months now but so much happened in a six month span but it got to the point where I what I wasn't eating I um was drinking in shore and that was it and I couldn't function again like I was just crying all the time I was afraid of everything I was afraid that we were going to get COVID and we were going to kill her I was afraid that we were going to get RSV and we were going to kill her and um I I I had nothing to give to my family um so the midwives that I was working with hooked me up with a well they put in a referral to a psychiatric nurse, like a postpartum psychiatric nurse. So I had to wait for that. In the meantime, I went to my primary care because I I was like, I can't do this. I can't live like this. And he prescribed me Ativan and did not necessarily explain to me what that was, which if you're not familiar with Ativan, it's a benzodiazepine. It's a fast-acting benzodiazepine. And I took it like you would take medicine. Like it says, take every six hours as needed. So I set an alarm on my phone and took it. I would wake up to take it because it worked great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt, I felt great. I, I went to a event with the two of you at that, like we did a flower bouquet thing. Mm-hmm. It was my, yes. It was my first okay. time getting out of the house and feeling good. Um, and then when I did like a follow-up, the doctor was like, well, don't wake yourself up to take it. Only take it if you need it. And I was like, well, what does that mean? How do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I kept taking it because it was working. I finally got to meet with the nurse and she was going to switch me from Ativan to Clonopin, which is a um, slow release benzodiazepine. But she started me on a dose that was too low, and I immediately reverted back to all my old symptoms. And then, so she decided to not do that, and I don't know why. And I was put on an antipsychotic, and it was strange because for two days I felt like a zombie, and then I felt fine. And I sort of like joked about it. I don't know if I joked about it with you guys, but I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm on an antipsychotic. Mm. Like, yeah, like I'm psycho." But it worked. And for about six weeks, 
they were monitoring me and I was able to be home alone with the baby and take care of her. And the best way I can explain it is I told people that I felt like a muted version of myself, but Mm -hmm. at least I felt like myself. So for six weeks, I was okay. And then out of nowhere, like this has been doing, all of my symptoms came back literally overnight. The trigger for this one, I think, was I was Googling the medicine that I was on. Googling was one of the things that would get me messed up. Um, But I Googled the medicine that I was on and I was like, oh, my God, this is not good stuff. People have a hard time getting off of this. And I was like on support groups on Facebook. And that was actually not helpful because I was seeing all of these other women like freaking out. We're all Mm -hmm. freaking out. Nobody's not freaking out. We're all freaking out. But I couldn't find anyone with my same symptoms anywhere. And Mm -hmm. I was like begging. I'm like, somebody please tell me you went through this. Nothing. So it just got worse. They, I called the nurse. She was like, take your, take an Ativan. I was like, no, I'm not taking an Ativan. I know what these medications are now. I'm not taking it. I don't want to take it. And she was like, are you going to hurt yourself? And I said, I, I don't know. And I was like mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like, you need to go to a hospital or you need to take an Ativan. And she said, if you go to the hospital, they're going to give you Ativan. So either take it or go to the hospital. And I took it and it didn't work. And that was when I like knew that this was beyond my control. I honestly don't know the timeline after that as to when I, when things, things rapidly got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this time, just to kind of put a timeline to this, like Avery's like three months old. Um, so it was October. Okay. It was October. Um, because I, I through this whole thing, I would tell all of the doctors the last time I felt, even remotely like myself was Halloween and that was still not a good night, but, but it was okay. So it was early November and I couldn't take it. I was, I called the crisis line. I, I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be alive. Mm -hmm. So they told me pack a bag and go to the ER. And that was hard. I, I, we had to call the in-laws to come over I remember like saying goodbye to Avery. I don't remember saying goodbye to Lily, um, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know who told my family. I think Ben told my family, but we went there and I spent like three days in the ER. Um, Emily came to visit me. What I remember most, Chels, was you like feeling so physically sick. Like that's yeah. what you kept saying is like, I, I can't keep feeling like this. Are they going to make me feel better? And you were so physically sick and exhausted. Um, and, and I just, I remember sitting there with you and I remember you saying, this is the room that they brought me in when I was hemorrhaging. I was just going to say oh. that was really triggering. Yeah. yeah. Which, how could it not be? And just you saying like, are they going to make me feel better? They're not going to let me go home like this. That's what I remember you saying. They're not going to let me go home like this, right? They're not going to let me go home mm. like this. Yeah. Like just how how physically sick you are. Well, and I had convinced myself too that it this couldn't be a mental health disorder because of how physically sick I was. I was like, I've got to have like a brain tumor mm-hmm. or I have like stomach cancer. 
anxiety doesn't make you this physically sick. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, this is anxiety. (laughs) It's like, cool. I've had anxiety my whole life. I've never experienced anything like this. So from there, I got a bed at a place called Brattleboro Retreat, which was three hours south of where I was. So I had to take an ambulance ride for three hours, saying goodbye to Ben, both just like crying because you like you don't have your cell phone or anything like that. Like anyway, I went. That was not what I expected. Um, The milieu of patience was incredibly mixed. I was on a unit with people with severe schizophrenia, um, severe bipolar disorder. Um, but then I was, there were also people who were like detoxing from different drugs. I, there was one woman there that I connected with and we have stayed in touch since, but like you saw a doctor over zoom, they prescribed, they prescribed me a ton of medications Mm -hmm. and that was it. Like the groups I'm putting quotations, the groups were led by just the, the, I don't even I don't remember what you call them but they're they're not professionals in the field of of mental health. They're they're just they just work there. So they're supposed to be doing these are supposed to be skills groups, but I'm not really learning any skills or anything. Um the meds just make me really really tired and I begged them to let me go home <laughs> because I was afraid. I was afraid of the people around me. And there was active COVID on our floor. So mm. I was like, I need to get out of here because I'm going to get COVID and I'm going to kill my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not better. I was not better. But they let me go home on a laundry list of medications. And within two days, I was in my next hospitalization. That one was different because it was a place that I had researched prior I had looked up inpatient postpartum programs, like postpartum mental health programs, and learned that there were only two in the entire country. One was in North Carolina, and there was another one in New York. The one in North Carolina had, from what I gathered, it had more information available and seemed to be a little more renowned than the one in New York. So, came home from Brattleboro, talked to my therapist because I. I wasn't okay. And she called and she called me right back and she said they have a bed. And I remember feeling like elated, like f- I was so happy. So within two days, I flew to North Carolina mm-hmm. and I was in North Carolina for three weeks. That place at least felt a little better. The The patients there, again, it was a mixed milieu of patients because the, the perinatal unit was under construction. Um, so we were with the gentle crisis or the quiet crisis patients. So people who were just like generally depressed and going through some things. Um, But they, I, every day I worked with occupational therapy and we did art therapy and we did, we met with the doctors every single morning. They changed all my meds again. I've been through so many med changes. Mm -hmm. That was where I was formally diagnosed with postpartum anxiety, depression, OCD and PTSD. My OCD, because that confused me the most, but it manifests in reassurance seeking. 
Um, so like, I'm constantly like, am I going to get better? Is this ever going to go away? Is this real? Or like things that I can say or do like, like I used to say I was superstitious mm-hmm. and I'm not superstitious. Like I, f- I feel like I have to say the same thing all the time so that mm-hmm. something bad doesn't happen. Yeah. I was there for a while. I missed Thanksgiving. Uh, I had Thanksgiving in North Carolina. Um, I FaceTimed with the kids every night. It was hard. And and I got approved to receive a br- the brand new <laughs> and only um, FDA-approved treatment for postpartum depression. It's called Brexanolin, or most people know it by Zolresso. And it's an IV infusion, and you're hooked up to an IV for three days. Um, and what they tell you from the get-go is it's either going to work or it's not. So I was approved for it. So Ben flew down and stayed with me for those three days. That first night, I felt happy. And then from then on, I I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. Like, long story short, it didn't work. They felt that I was no longer a suicide risk. So um, they let me go home. So I flew home on Ativan, back on Ativan. And the doctors kept telling me, because I was like, I don't want to take it. I don't want to be an addict. I have addicts in my family. I don't want to be addicted to this. And they're like, take the medicine if you need medicine. So I took it. And I came home and I was immediately sick again. My sister, I remember my sister telling me, like, I think the kids and the house are a trigger for you. I was like, no, that can't be it. Like, that can't be what it is. But I would feel I would feel physically sick holding Avery. I loved her so much and I wanted to hold her. And as soon as I would hold her, I would feel sick. So I was home from North Carolina for a couple of weeks, not doing well during that time, progressively getting worse. And then Christmas Day, it all bo- it all boiled over. We didn't go to either of my parents' houses, which we usually do every year. I was up at 3 a.m. texting the crisis line because I was so sick. And like, yeah, I so I I remember sitting in the living room from 3.30 in the morning until just waiting for Lily to wake up to come open her presents. Tried to hold it together through that. We ended up going to my mom's, but I had a really hard time. By the time I got home, I was back on the crisis line. And I just kept saying, like, I want to die. I want to die. And I and I was apologizing to the guy on the phone because I was like, it's Christmas. <laughs> I'm so sorry you're doing this on Christmas. Um, he's like, you need to go to the ER. And I called my mom and my mom took me to back to the ER at UVM this time. And I was down there for three or four days. And the whole chain of events, we think we know, we think we know what happened now. When I say we, I mean me and Ben. I didn't have my meds with me and I, and they weren't giving me the Ativan regularly like I had been taking. And there was a day that I got really, really, really sick. Like I collapsed on the floor in my room um, and I was shaking and I felt like I was going to throw up. They gave me all kinds of anti-nausea meds and none of, none of it was working. The nurses were like frustrated with me. I could see it on their faces. Mm-hmm. And eventually they gave me an IV injection of Ativan and it put me to sleep. So what we think that was an Ativan withdrawal, Ben and I think that that's what that was because it happened again. Once I got admitted to the psychiatric ward, 
I wasn't taking it regularly again. And I had a night where I didn't sleep at all. I was awake for literally all night long, pacing the hallways, shaking. I collapsed in the hallway, collapsed in the day room, feeling like I was crawling out of my skin. Everything in the movies that like you picture a crazy person, like that was me rocking back and forth, repeating words over and over again. And they told me I was having a panic attack. And the do- one of the doctors even told me, if you're going to do that, you can't do that in the hallway. You have to go to your room. And I was like, I, in my head, I'm like, that was beyond my control. <laughs> He's like, you need to use your coping skills. That sounds like, like helpful advice. Just, just I use your skills, Chels. I wanted to scream. I wanted to scream and be like, I am an expert at using my coping skills. I have been managing my anxiety disorder my whole life. I know my coping skills. I know my triggers. Ashley and Antonia were two of my point people. So if I was Mm -hmm. having a panic attack at work, I would text and one of you would come find me Mm -hmm. and I knew what to do to calm myself down Mm -hmm. or I knew if I needed to call Ben. Like, I know. And I would just sit there awkwardly and not know what to do to help you. Yes. But but I was there. But I could get it together. (laughs) On the floor in my office. Yeah. (laughs) So don't tell me (laughs) to use my coping skills Mm -hmm. and that I'm just having a panic attack. I firmly believe that I was having benzodiazepine withdrawals. Mm. And that whole stay at UVM was awful. I hardly ever slept. I paced the hallways all night long. The doctors were completely dismissive. I remember one of the doctors, like, she had to check in with me. And all she did was be like, do you feel like killing yourself today? No, not today. Are you hearing any voices today? No. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. And and you were there for like two weeks. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. And, and I remember I sat down and I said, what's my plan? I want to know what my plan is. Like, what's my treatment plan? She's like, well, I think we can discharge you on Friday. I was like, uh. <laughs> Show Wait, me the I data. I my plan. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> well, also, like, you were still postpartum. Like, your all of yeah. your hormones still probably hadn't regulated yet. Your body was healing from not one, but two surgeries, like physically, were still healing. And um, that had to play a role in everything going on, you know? Yeah, I don't, I I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the doctors all along were telling me, every doctor told me, and but could not convince me, this is postpartum, it will go away. This is postpartum, it will go away. And I just was like, well, it's not. It's not going away. They discharged me on Friday. And the doctor, I remember the doctor telling me, you can stop taking your Ativan. I'm not prescribing you anymore. You're not going to withdraw from it. You're, you're fine. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. Um, luckily, one of the residents prescribed me some to get me to my intensive or my partial hospitalization outpatient program, which s- saved my life. I was home from UVM for, I can't, I didn't even come home. I went to my in-laws because I couldn't be around the kids because I was still so overstimulated and not sleeping with insomnia. I would wake up in a panic and just be awake all night long. 
I had anxiety about falling asleep. The worst day was a Sunday. So I came home on a Friday and that Sunday I was home alone with Ben and I, for the past two days, I'd just been rocking and shaking and pacing and crying. And that day I was begging him to let me die. I was like, I cannot live like this. I am no good to you. I am no good to the kids. This, I cannot live like this. And I couldn't get the image out of my head. It was like a movie playing in my head of like me slitting my wrists. And I didn't want it in there. Like I kept yelling and like hitting Mm -hmm. my head. And we called my therapist and I was like, I don't want to go back to the hospital. Don't make me go back to the hospital. So she had Ben lock up all the knives and all the sharp things in the house. She's like, you just need to make it to your intake to the outpatient program. You need to make it to the intake. Mm -hmm. And was that the following day? It was a couple of days later. I made it. And my, I had to do a bunch of rating scales and they were abysmal that I was like highly suicidal, Mm -hmm. highly depressed, highly anxious. And I remember starting the program. I was so sick. I couldn't even drive myself. My mother-in-law had to drive me for the first like week, drive me and pick me up. And I remember thinking like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to help me. This is a skills based thing. Like this isn't going to help me. But the doctors, you meet with the doctors twice a week. They, so they switched up some of my meds. One of the biggest problems is that I've been on so many different meds over a short period of time. Um, So we're working on that. But they convinced me, and I still struggle with this, but they convinced me to get on clonopin, which is the, 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 the slow release mm-hmm. benzo. And I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to be addicted. But the way that the doctor and the therapist explained it to me was that it was like insulin for someone with diabetes. They're like, this is a life-saving medication for you right now. And you are the reason that these drugs exist. They have a bad reputation because they were overprescribed and they were abused. and they do have some pretty heavy side effects, which I don't I don't seem to be getting the heavy, heavy side effects. But I remember crying the first time I took it. And I'm still taking it. And the plan is for me to continue taking it until Avery's first birthday, just after that. And then they're going to try to get me off of it. They have told me I need to be okay with either outcome. Either I will get off of them mm-hmm. or I won't. And that's fine. And I still hate that a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it scares me. But I know people who have taken them for years and years and years and live great life. I have family members who have taken them for over a decade and are fine. And I know people that have taken them and gotten off of them. And so I need to be okay with either outcome. But that's I struggle with that. I remember Chels, like, I think it was maybe your last week or the week 
before it was right towards the end of you doing the program and we were at Ashley's again and we were having donuts yeah you came and it was the first time I had seen you in in a couple of weeks well probably probably more than that it was first time I had seen you in a bit and you were feeling like I was experiencing you like yourself again like okay this is Chelsea and Chelsea is feeling back and like definitely you were still very open about your struggles but it felt like you were coming back and you were there and it was so like it was so good to see that you were you were back that you're not the first person to say that like my therapist can say she's like I can pinpoint when I started noticing that you were coming back and I say too like like Kalanapin allowed me to access the skills groups Mm -hmm. and build my skills. It allowed me to learn how to be a mom to my kids again. I have to stop stigmatizing it in my brain because it, it did bring me back from the edge. Like I was, I was, I wasn't going to continue my life. So it's still a struggle, (laughs) but, and so I, I I went from partial hospitalization. I stepped down from that to intensive outpatient, and I completed that. And leaving was scary, and it's still scary. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that I still fight every day. Every day is still a fight. I fight the voices in my head that are like, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Because the other times were so unpredictable. It was either I was fine or I wasn't. So it's every day I have to convince myself, A, to focus on where I am right now and that I'm okay right now. And B, to not worry about the future because that's not happening right now. And those are some of the skills that I learned in the programs. I credit the Seneca program for saving my life. Um, I mean, and also on top of the support that I got from like my partner and my family and from you guys. Um, but like the Seneca program saved my life and allowed me to put my energy into this, which is something that I wanted to do the first time this happened. (laughs) So way back in like September, October, when I, started the antipsychotics i was like oh people need to like hear about this <laughs> like yeah this i remember is- coming over to your house with i don't know if it was a, like if it was lunchtime i feel like i brought us sandwiches yes um from putties yes and i remember you talking about there being just two postpartum places you know facilities or whatever in the in the country and and how like that's not right because there's there's so much need and you had looked into some grants and you're like what I want to do is this podcast and and it was really cool having that conversation with you and it's <laughs> I'm tearing up <laughs> like it's really cool that however many months later six months later like you're weeks into this like weeks into releasing like episodes yeah. and it's it's really cool so thank yeah. you thank you for doing this for your, <laughs> yourself and for some of us. Well, I thank you. Thank you for believing in me. And this, it started out as me wanting to do a podcast. 
where other people could share their stories. It was never about Mm -hmm. me wanting to share my story. And then it sort of turned into the support group on Facebook. And now I don't know how I'm going to go about this, but I want to start a nonprofit organization. I want there to be a quiet connection, like foundation that either connects people to the resources that they need or even better this this is like beyond home run like i don't know if i could ever do this but like facilities with people trained in perinatal mental health Mm -hmm. in every goddamn state in the in the country to support these birthing people because suicide is one of the leading causes of death in postpartum mm-hmm. people. It, it And that's not okay. Yeah. That's not okay. Well, you know, Chelsea, you say it's like a, like a home run, really big dream. And at one point you didn't think that you would make the next five minutes or it's the true. next day or the next week. So mm-hmm. like you have done throughout this whole process, really big things that you never thought you were going to do. So it may be a really big dream. And also like you have done things that you didn't think that Mm -hmm. you were going to do. It's true. It's true. I, I'm, I, that would be insane. That would be amazing. Um, but I at least want to be able to connect, connect people with resources. The problem is that there aren't many resources, Mm -hmm. but the podcast is meant to, on the one hand, give people an opportunity to tell their story and allowing other people to find their community and be like, yeah, I felt that. Yeah, I, 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 wow, I'm not the only one that felt that way. That's what I didn't have. I still don't have it. Selfishly, um, I'm not that I would wish this on anyone ever, but selfishly, I really wish I could find someone who felt these symptoms mm-hmm. as extreme as I did and is fine now because I'm still so new to the recovery that I'm still really afraid that I'm going to relapse. Mm-hmm. It's it it's about sharing stories, it's about making it not scary to talk about. One of the things that I feel really guilty about is I have friends, I have lots of friends having babies right now and I get like viscerally angry and jealous because like within two days they're they're out taking walks within a week they're taking their baby to a brewery and sitting down with friends or like that they're doing these things and they're living their lives and they're happy and their babies are happy and like and I didn't get that and I know that that's so unfair. It's great for them. <laughs> it's great for them. And it's not fair for me to, to, to have those feelings. But it hurts really bad to see other people just have a baby and, and, and live. Well, that's, that's grief, Chelsea. You know, like as an infertile person who adopted both of my boys, um, like, seeing still even now like seeing people be like oh yeah we're gonna try to get pregnant we're pregnant we're having this baby um you know like that that's grief yeah that's a long-term thing that 
folks have to work through and, and that you will work through um, and are working through. And it's also like, it might be something that's there for a long time. So I say that to say, don't like, don't get angry at yourself for feeling those feelings because it's grief and you're grieving a loss of what could have been. And it's, it is true. Yeah. And I don't want, like, I also don't want friends and family to misconstrue it. And like, I'm very happy for these people and I do want to meet their babies. And I, and I like all of these things. It just, you're, you're right. It's, it's grief of something that I never had with either of my kids. And I joke now that I, the whole point with Avery is that I wanted things to be different (laughs) and they were different. They were. (laughs) They were different. Yep. Just not in the way that I had imagined. Mm -hmm. It's been almost three months since I was discharged from my last hospitalization. I have been doing really well. I absolutely love spending time with Avery. I love, I won't say I love spending every minute with Lily because she's seven right now and seven is a really hard age. (laughs) Um, But I like the little things that I wasn't able to do for so long, like putting them to bed, putting my kids to bed is my favorite thing to do. And I'll like milk it too. Like I'll, I'll stay in there much longer than I need to. And I am still not a Pinterest mom. I am still not I I still will say I don't love being a mom, but I love being my kids' mom. I yeah, I just this isn't what I pictured. <laughs> and as my therapist would say, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't really talk at all about like who I was before I had kids, but I feel like I was pretty much the same person. You know what? No, I'm not finding that person again. And Ben and my therapist are both trying to remind me of this. I'm not that person anymore. And I'm never going to be that person mm-hmm. again. And my life is going to look different. And I have to stop trying to get back to the way things were. Because they're not going to be that way ever mm-hmm. again. So I guess I'm figuring out who I am. <laughs> no, You'll figure out who you are. And who you are is a great mom and a great friend and a great special educator if you ever get back if you ever go back to work. Um. (laughs) No, I, I just, I thank you guys and, and Antonia who we are missing you three. I, I say I have my people and my village and like the three of you when Ben got in his accident, actually, no, it, it was before that when I had a breakdown around COVID which was nothing like this. I thought that was going to be the <laughs> lowest point. I thought that was going right. to be the hardest thing I ever each had to time, go through. Poor Chelsea. Each time you think you're going through the hardest thing. <laughs> I know. Life is like, hold on. <laughs> I'll throw something else at you. Yeah. But I had I had a big breakdown around COVID. And mm-hmm. the three of you like wrapped around me and just like, just saw me through that. And I didn't, it it was almost like it was like the from the most unlikely place because like you guys were my friends, but like I mm-hmm. I never I never think that people think about me the way that maybe they do. I I've always been very like I was bullied a lot as a kid and never really understood. So I don't think people actually like care. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys were there for me then when my when Ben almost died. The three of you literally like 
kept my family going. Like you guys took care of my house. Mm-hmm. You made sure we were fed. Like, and then through this, you just even I couldn't talk to you a lot through a lot of it because I was hospitalized through a lot of it. But like there was always messages like, I don't just I don't mm-hmm. know. I can't even the three of you mean a lot to me. So I couldn't do this episode without you. And I'm Antonia is definitely here in my thoughts yeah but yeah you guys you guys mean everything to me you're my sparkly unicorns Aww. <laughs> we if love I, you very much if Chelsea. i enjoyed sparkly unicorns i'd i'd uh send that sentiment back to you <laughs> i have a thing for unicorns <laughs> you're my donut <laughs> I do love a good donut. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for doing this with me because I definitely couldn't have done it alone. I am probably going to go bury myself in some comfort food um and wrap up in a blanket because that was a lot. Yeah. But, but thank you for always being there. You're very welcome, Chelsea. Absolutely. And thank you for trusting us to tell your story. You know, I, I think that we have kept in touch through our text thread throughout all of this, but yeah. I think that, you know, there's things that you hadn't shared yet. And yeah. and we love you. <laughs> we all love each other. I honestly cannot thank Ashley and Emily enough for, for helping me record that episode. That was pretty challenging for me. If anyone has any questions about anything they heard in the episode, please feel free to reach out through our website or through our Gmail account, quietconnectionppmh at gmail.com. I'm always happy to answer anybody's questions. And if you're seeking connection, I am there for that too. If you'd like to follow along with us at Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can find us on all your major podcast platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iTunes, and more. Join us next time where another story is told and you realize you are not alone. I see you.